Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. When I learned to play the guitar, I started like most guitar players do. It sounded something like this. I'd find the D chord, and then I'd strum it a bit, and then I'd stop, and I'd wiggle my finger around, and I'd try to find that G, and then I'd find the G, and then... And then it would be a, usually a painfully long pause before I got back to the D again, you know. Well, that's how a lot of beginners start. Well, it was the summer of 1990, and I was in South Africa on a mission trip, and I met a young man named David Murray. He was 15. I was 16, but he was a far more accomplished guitar player than I was, which didn't take much, but he was actually quite good. And he immediately saw what I was doing. I had maybe five or six chords under my belt, and I was focusing all my attention on learning the chords, which a lot of newbie guitar players do. He took one look at me and said, stop worrying about the chords. What do you mean? He said, here's what you need to do. You need to stop worrying about the chords and start focusing on the right hand, on the rhythm hand. In fact, so much so that he encouraged me to cover the strings and take 10 or 15 minutes a day and just focus on rhythm. Which seemed odd at first. He said, you know, switch it up, start doing some downstrokes and some upstrokes. Focus on rhythm. Do that over and over again. He said, oh, sure, keep learning chords, but don't worry about the chords. Focus on the rhythm. If you focus on the rhythm, the chords will come, he said. Here's the thing. A lot of people who focus only on the chords and never learn the rhythm, years later, still don't quite sound right. They stall out. They're so focused on their chords, they forget the rhythm, and as a result, the music doesn't work very well. He said, look, it doesn't matter if it takes a while for you to switch a chord. If you've got the rhythm, it doesn't really matter how long it takes to get to that next chord because the rhythm keeps the song going is what you say. So he said, focus on the rhythm. And so I began to, by the time I got back from South Africa, just a few months later, it sounded like I'd been playing for years. People were so shocked. I probably only knew seven or eight chords at that time, but because I had the rhythm, the music sounded great. The music flowed on. It was a beautiful lesson in how to play guitar, and I've taught many students that since. But it also is a lesson for our lives. If we've got the rhythm, we've got the music. Well, we're launching a brand new series, as you can see, called Reimagine. And for the next month, I'm hoping that you will join me and all of us as we reimagine the life that God has for us. You see, during this pandemic, during the last year or two, there's been things that have been revealed to us about ourselves, about our lives, perhaps even about the world around us. 
In that sense, I've been referring to COVID as being apocalyptic, not in the sense of mushroom clouds and abandoned cities and zombies, but rather apocalyptic in the original meaning, which means revealing, a revelation, an unveiling. Because during the last couple of years, new things have been revealed to us. A big one that I've heard mentioned a number of times and I've read articles about it is people realize that pre-pandemic, their lives were so incredibly busy that they were just rushing here, rushing there, very distracted, very cluttered. And one of the upsides, not denying the downsides and difficulty, but one of the upsides of the pandemic was that people realized they now had more time with their kids. They had more time for family game night. They had time to get out into the outdoors and to, to hike and to, to bike and to run and to experience creation, either alone or together. They began to realize that there were certain ways they had been living pre-pandemic that actually were sucking the life out of them. And as a result, the revealing the apocalypse of COVID helped them see perhaps there's new ways they want to live now as a result. The apocalypse of COVID, but also the invitation into reimagination. So that's what this series is about, to reimagine the life that God has for us, both personally and as a church. And so that's our invitation for this next series. For the next four weeks, we'll be exploring different ways that you and I can reimagine God's life for us. And each week, I'm going to add a little bit of practical homework for you and I to do so that we can together, it'll kind of accumulate together We can reimagine, do some of the work, spend some of the time, take some of the intention of reimagining what God has for us. As we begin this, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us be open to reimagining our life, reimagining our rhythms and our growth, reimagining what it means to serve, what it means to be your people. In all these ways, Holy Spirit, would you lead us now into the life you have for us? Well, back to rhythm. What I first want us to reimagine is our rhythms. The rhythms of our lives. I want you to imagine what it's like to have a rhythm of life that enables you your family, your spiritual life, your physical life, your financial life to flourish, as well as the mission, the calling, the gifts that God has given you and our life together as a church. I want you to imagine rhythms that help you flourish. Rhythm is actually playing all throughout Scripture's story. The whole story of Genesis starts off very rhythmically, where God sets creation into place according to great rhythms. I mean, Genesis 1 itself reads like rhythmic poetry, where we have day and night and evening and morning, and we have all these things coming in, and the way it's even structured poetically is very rhythmic. And we, in that sense, God is setting the music of creation around the rhythm that he set up for us as his people, and we're to live within that. Not only is there a kind of rhythm that's related to the sun and the days and the moon and all that, but there's also this beautiful rhythm that's set up where each week 
there is a day of rest where all of creation is good, but then a moment in time is holy. Now, it took centuries for this rhythm to develop, but God began to call people into this rhythm, this rhythm of grace, this rhythm of freedom. And when it came time to swoop down and rescue his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, then God initiated a covenant rhythm with these people. And I would say that's when the band really begins to set the rhythm to the music. God gifts his people, his newly rescued people, with a gift of the rhythm of covenant. And it's set up in, in you know, a lot of what we read in the Old Testament, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's festivals and there's special days and there's ways of engaging that all form this rhythm of life around God, around his grace, around his deliverance and who they are as his people. We see in this Old Covenant that God wanted a people who were flourishing in community under him living out these rhythms of grace. And that's why there were weekly and monthly and yearly reminders of who God was, of who they were, of how they were to live. The biggest one, probably the most common one, of course, was the Sabbath itself. That's our Saturday. The Sabbath day was offered as a gift to God's people, who up to that point, in the hundreds hundreds of years prior to their deliverance out of Egypt, they had only known slavery. You know, there's no days off for slaves. They lived under a tyrant, an evil and awful king. And God had rescued them now and says, look, you now get to live under my rulership, where you get a day of rest every week. This is such a gift to a slave people. So much so that the great rabbi, Abraham Heschel, he says that the Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. Perhaps a bit of an overstatement because Rabbi Heschel didn't believe in Jesus, who we would say is the most precious present. But the point is still strong. The Sabbath was a real gift. Listen to how the Sabbath command is understood from Deuteronomy 6. These are the words of Moses as he's speaking to a second generation whose parents have all died and now they're receiving a renewal of this command. He says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your animals... So everybody rests, creation, servants, as well as no foreigners who reside in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Everybody gets rest. And here's why. Verse 15 of chapter 6, Deuteronomy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Isn't that beautiful? Sabbath is a sign of their freedom. It's the day you don't have to work. It's a gift. And the rhythm of rest reminds them of the rescue. The rhythm of rest reminds them of the rescue. Now, in the Exodus account, when it was first given in Mount Sinai, the reason given for the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, is a bit different. Instead of a focus on slavery, the focus is on creation. And they're told, well, God created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh. Now you, 
as image bearers of God, you also mimic your God in how you work for six days and rest on the Sabbath. But however you cut it, Sabbath was an incredible gift. And it beat out this weekly rhythm for the people of God, set within the larger rhythm of the covenant story. Well, these covenant rhythms, when they were in place, when they were functioning, when they were allowed to shape the life and the minds and the hearts and the practices of God's people, it kept them oriented. It kept them coming back all the time with astonishing regularity to who God is, to what he has done for them, to who they are as the rescued people of God. It reminded them of all that God desired for them. Beautiful. But there's very little biblical evidence that these rhythms were kept very much. We tend to think, I think, that they kept them all the time. Not true. If you read the biblical story, these rhythms were often ignored, neglected, misused, abused, or just fell out of practice for literally generation after generation. And years of neglect would come and go, and as a result, God's people would actually forget their own story. They would forget the God who rescued them. They would forget who they were. They would abandon his ways, and they would sink deep into idolatry, deep into injustice, and eventually and ultimately It led them back into slavery, which is what God had said would happen. Well, when Jesus arrives in the scene, we don't find God's people enjoying the joyful song that God had wanted them to enjoy. Yes, some of the covenant rhythms are still functioning. Yes, there are Israelites who are faithfully worshiping Yahweh. That is all true. But a lot of what had been meant as a grace gift from God had now become a heavy burden on the people. The Sabbath day probably being the most obvious. It's no surprise that much of the conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus revolved around the Sabbath rhythms. What we discover is that God sends his son Jesus to initiate a new covenant, a new covenant rhythm. Through Jesus, we see God's desire, his continued desire, his consistent desire that his followers would flourish, but now that they would live under the gracious yoke of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, with these built-in rhythms of grace that are centered around now Jesus himself, around the rescue that God was bringing through the Messiah. Jesus, famously, is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the rest. And he becomes the focal point of God's rhythm, of God's restoration. He is now, in fact, the rest. He is the one who invites us into these new rhythms of grace and freedom that God desires. In Matthew 11, we already heard this read, but hear it again. This comes into sharp focus. When Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is beating out a new rhythm.
Now, Jesus lived within the covenant rhythms that were already set up. We know this. While at the same time, he was fulfilling them. And you could say modulating them into a whole new melody. Jesus takes up the Sabbath rhythm and he reveals what true rest means, where true rest really is found. He takes up the Passover rhythm and ultimately fulfills the atonement that it pointed toward, the deliverance of us from sin. Jesus takes up the Pentecost rhythm and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Jesus takes up the atonement rhythm that's seen all the way through. All of these rhythms played all throughout the Old Covenant now find their ultimate purpose, their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. In him, all these covenant rhythms are fulfilled and the song reaches its great crescendo. Now, the apostles, the first followers of Jesus, they saw all of this unfold. And then, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they began to help God's people figure out what it meant. They began to read back through their whole story, all the Torah, all that God had done, and began to understand how these rhythms had brought about and pointed toward and now been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. While they were alive, they kept the old covenants of Sabbath and festivals. While at the same time, they began to create new creation rhythms. Things that emerged post-resurrection. These new rhythms were first obvious in the fact that followers of the Messiah would meet in the synagogue and discuss the scripture and see how the the scriptures all pointed to Jesus. But then they also began to gather on Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week, on the Sunday. You can already see in there the origin of our weekend. We get Saturdays and Sundays off for a reason. It's this merging of the Jew and Gentile story and the celebration of that together as God's people. These new rhythms really began to take up steam as more and more Gentiles joined this this covenant story. And the Spirit began to lead in new ways as the gospel went out into new communities in different places, different communities. There was really, um, they were walking together in the same rhythm, the same story for many, many decades following the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't until toward the end of the first century that there began to be a real split between synagogue and church because of some growing animosity. But as the church grew and expanded, they began to reorder their rhythms. The church year began to emerge. We began to see the church begin to rethink their yearly rhythms now around the life of Jesus Christ himself. Beginning with the Advent season, that starts the Christian calendar year, and leading up the promised Messiah, leading up to the coming of Jesus at at Christmas, and then Epiphany and the celebration of Lent and Easter, and then, of course, Pentecost that comes, and then a lot of the year called Ordinary Time, where we focus on the teachings of Jesus and life in Christ. And if you're from a Catholic or an Anglican or maybe a Lutheran background, that's pretty familiar stuff to you. Well, what's more, not only did the church calendar emerge as a, as a new covenant rhythm, but men and women in Christ also began to practice regular rhythms of retreat and ministry. They began to form daily times of prayer that they called sometimes the offices or even the hours, often 
function, functioning around uh, seven times. One place in the Psalms, David refers to seven times, I pray to you. And they took that quite literally and began to form seven specific times throughout the day where God's people would stop and pray. They would turn their attention to the God who had delivered them through Jesus and they would say thanks and they would offer prayers, whether they were at work, whether they were alone, whether they were traveling, whether they were together at home. They began to order their day in this rhythm of prayer and remembrance. But there were also times of fasting, times of celebrations. And these looked quite different depending on the place and the time and the culture. There were even communities that began to form around certain types of rhythms or rules, they were called, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But the point being that Jesus uh, began to call people into new creation rhythms. And while they looked quite different, they functioned the same way. They kept the people of Jesus focused around who he was, what he was doing, who they were, and how they were to live faithfully to him. And the truth is, many of us, especially if we're from an uh, evangelical background or um, maybe a completely non-church background, this kind of ordered rhythm of life, this kind of thing where there's special days and, and, and there's, there's special times, and how you, it can seem actually quite foreign to us. I mean, I was certainly not raised in a culture. We didn't, other than like Christmas and Easter, we didn't know anything about the church year. Uh, Maybe that is the same for you. And as a result, we have little memory or experience. But we miss out on a lot as a result. Here's the thing. Rhythms keep us playing the music that God had intended. Rhythms help us hear the music, join the music, contribute to the music that God is playing in us as a community and in us as individuals. And so rather than simply following a sort of a one-size-fits-all, you should do this rhythm, you should do that, rather we look to the Holy Spirit to invite us into a rhythm that actually works for us. Works for us as a community, works for us as individuals, works for us according to the gifts and passions and personalities that we have or maybe unique situations. But the point being that the Holy Spirit invites us to live in such a way that we experience his goodness, his grace, and enables us to flourish. Well, I want to offer some practical application for this. How do we reimagine our rhythms? I want to offer you some homework. This is homework that I'd like to build on during this whole series. And so what I'm talking about today, I'll bring back next week and the weeks following. What I want to invite you into, and myself as well, is in crafting what is called a rule of life. Now, don't get stuck on the word rule because it can mean a lot of things. In the original context, I'm using it on purpose, though. In the original context, rule just means um, some sort of like line or measuring that we follow that helps us build the structure right. You could think of a T-square or a plumb line or you know, a good measuring tape. That's the original word from Latin. It just means that. And so the idea of a rule of life is about something that sets out a structure, a rhythm, and then we can build life around that. Think of a trellis that we build and then allows the vines to grow up. That's what a rule is. Rules of life have been different for different seasons and different people and different places and communities down through the centuries. Most famously, it came from St. Benedict, who as a young man abandoned sort of a a very distracted life, went away and uh, spent a lot of time with God and kind of emerged from that with a a sense of a a rule of life that he needed to live by. 
which primarily functioned around two areas. How he was going to regulate his life of prayer and his life in, in community, in relationships with others. And uh, this has been quite famous, and the Benedictine order follows it, and others have been inspired by it. But it's all about um, having a rhythm of life that enables us to flourish. It's not just about prayer. It's about covering all of life. And I'll read to you what Stephen Macchia says in his book called Creating a Rule of Life. He said, a rule of life is this, a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform the life God invites you to humbly fulfill for God's glory. Now, it sounds like a mouthful, but the point being, it's really just about this structure of rhythms and relationships that enable us to flourish. And so what I'd like to challenge you, invite you to consider through this next month, is to begin crafting a rule of life, a kind of structure, rhythm, uh, what's important, what's not, what are you going to focus on, where's that going to be in my life, in my calendar, in my days, in my weeks, that will enable you and I to really experience the life of grace and freedom that God has for us in Christ. There are three ways that I'd like you to invite you to do that as you begin. The first is to reflect. This reaches back to what I already said. Perhaps you want to spend some time thinking about what's the last year been like for you? What's been good? What's been difficult? When you think of the rhythms in your life that have been disrupted, which one of those rhythms, its disruption was actually a good thing. You realize, actually, it broke something, it changed something, and that was a benefit to me. Or, it's been really difficult because that got disrupted. Maybe you want to spend some time thinking about, what have you learned in the last year about what really gives you life or what really takes it away? I encourage you to spend some time reflecting over the last year and asking yourself, what have I learned about myself, about what helps me flourish, about what really drags me down? See what the Holy Spirit reveals to you there. While you're reflecting, I also encourage you to begin thinking, what are the areas of my life that are so very important? What are they? I'm thinking of family. I'm thinking of a certain friendship. I'm thinking of work or maybe a a hobby or recreation. I'm thinking of your spiritual life, but I'm also thinking of physical exercise. I'm thinking of of things like rest, or maybe reading, or maybe a particular ministry that God has called you to. What are the areas of your life that you say, these are significant. This is part of who God has made me. This is part of where he's giving me life. This is part of where he's using me to bring life to others. What are those areas. As you reflect, see what God reveals. Five areas that might be easy to form around. This is from Machia as well in his book. He talks about time. He's talking about the rhythms, the structure of life. He talks about treasure, our financial life, things being ordered in that way. He talks about trust. That's focusing on the relationships. He also talks about temple, which would be the physical body, the stewardship of what God has given us. And then he uses the word talent to talk about the mission, the service, the ministry. And in some way, we'll be addressing some of these things, not all of them, but some of these things in our series. But those five areas might help you begin to define the things that are important. But my point is that we would reflect. 
spend some time reflecting. Second, that we would then, based on our reflection, we would begin to reimagine. What do flourishing rhythms look like? What needs to be present in your week, in your month, so that you are growing, so that you are joyful, so that you are experiencing life with God and life in community, so that you are safeguarding love in your life? Now, this is good for anyone. I just want to say, you may not be a follower of Jesus. You may be listening to this. This is good for you, too. Because stepping back and saying, what have I learned and what gives me life and how can I reimagine my rhythms so that I'm actually experiencing more of, of what is good as opposed to what is distracting and difficult, that is good for anybody. And so I encourage you to consider that as well wherever you are. This is also something you can talk about with younger kids, with teenagers, with a friend. I challenge you, start a reimagination conversation. Reimagine what would healthy flourishing rhythms look like in your life. So as you reflect and as you reimagine, the third thing is that you respond. And this is where we actually begin to create this rule of life, this orderedness, this structure, where there's a grace rhythm. This is not about law. This is not about a burden. This is about beginning to sketch out what would a rhythm of grace look like in my life. What, does it mean that I, I want to make sure that I, I call this friend every month? And I, I'm actually going to put that in my calendar. That's, that's a relationship that I want to safeguard. That's a relationship that I want to keep. And I want to build into that friendship. And so I'm going to make sure that on Tuesday evenings, I always call that friend. Maybe it's realizing that physical exercise really is something that I need to have in my life. It's, it's not only part of stewarding my body, but I feel better and I'm able to serve more. I'm able to be more attentive to what God has for me and, and the family around me. And so as a result, I need to block in three times a week that I'm actually going for a good hike or I'm going to the gym or I'm joining a class, whatever it is. You get my point. There's also the rhythms of prayer. But perhaps you'll begin to decide, I'm going to follow a certain practice of rhythmic prayer. I'm going to do this at lunchtime every week. Or I'm going to, I'm going to join a prayer group. Or, or I'm going to follow even the praying of certain hours of the day. The truth is, there's a lot of freedom in this. But I challenge you to begin crafting that rule of life. To begin to lay out some kind of rhythm that would help you flourish. Know this. This is something that takes a number of months to really create. And even when we do that, it's open. It's flexible. It moves around. I've crafted a number of rules of life. And there's still a work in progress. And there's sometimes where I blank sheet it and I start all over again. That's okay. In fact, that's good. Because this is a dynamic thing. As the Holy Spirit invites us to keep following Jesus. And as we do that, we're paying attention. Pay attention to him. We're paying attention to these rhythms. Pay attention to the things that matter. It all comes together to lead us to greater flourishing. There are a couple things I want to offer to help you, though. Um, I'll probably include this somewhere uh, below the video or whatever, but just so you hear me say it. If you go to ruleoflife.com, ruleoflife.com, this is a website that was set up to go with this book that I've been following called uh, Creating Rule of Life by Stephen Macchia. It's a great website, lots of resources, ruleoflife.com. And then also just a little 30-minute podcast that also will really help you with Stephen Macchia and Nathan Foster. I- I'll include the link um, 
in the notes below this, but if you just searched in the Renovare, R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E, search in your, any podcast, Renovare, and then put Machia or Rule of Life or something, you'll find a podcast that has a beautiful just description that will help you get going. The other thing would be to share this with your spiritual friend, to share this with a fellow believer, to do this together with someone, a spouse, a friend, a brother, a sister, because that will add so much as you share with each other, as you're figuring out what are healthy rhythms? What do they look like for you? What do they look like for me? Oh, that's a great idea. I'd like to add that to mine. That kind of thing, super helpful. And it also encourages accountability as we move forward together. What are the healthy rhythms that will help you and your family truly flourish? Jesus, I believe, is calling us to live out this new creation rhythm. To join the music, to contribute with our instruments in this rhythm that he's already beating and laying down for us. His desire is that we would flourish as God intended. Right where we live, right where we serve, right where we work, but also where we worship together and learn together as a community. This is both personal and corporate. And so I want to just invite you as we finish today. Will you reimagine with me the rhythms that will lead to our flourishing? It's my prayer for you. I'm praying that God will do that for us, both as a church, Erickson Covenant Church, both in our friendships, our spiritual friendships, but in your personal life too. I really believe that as we reimagine our rhythms, we'll begin to hear and join in the music that God has for us. From the beginning of Romans chapter 12, from the message, we hear these words. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And that's my hope as we reimagine our rhythms. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.